Good morning, Fellowship family. A few years ago, there was a movie that came out called The Greatest Showman, and it was about P.T. Barnum, and he is the one who, who brought about the, uh, the circus that was known as The Greatest Show on Earth. And so uh, if you saw the movie, uh, which, by the way, it had a lot of great music in it. In fact, my, uh, my younger brother told me that it really wasn't a movie. It was more of a musical, uh, but it has really good music. And maybe as I even bring up the idea of The Greatest Showman, you have uh, some of the, the soundtrack just going uh, through, your, through your head right now. And uh, it may be with you the rest of the day, so you're welcome. But uh, P.T. Barnum certainly knew how to put on a show. Uh, he knew how to entertain, how to impress, and that is why even today uh, he is still referred to as the greatest showman. You may ask, what does the greatest showman have to do with the Sermon on the Mount? And really that's a, a very good question because as we move into the sixth chapter of Matthew, we're going to see a principle taught by the Lord that contrasts true discipleship from spiritual showmanship. Now showmanship is fine if you are an entertainer. If you are a circus performer, if you are wanting to, uh, to impress people and entertain them, uh, that's totally fine. But in one's spiritual life, if that becomes the goal to impress others, this is the issue. And this is the issue that Jesus is addressing at the beginning of chapter 6 of Matthew in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So it raises the question regarding motivation. If you're following along in the outline, you'll see the key question for today is this. Is my motivation to obey God or to receive praise from people? And so I invite your attention again this morning to the book of Matthew, chapter 6. We'll pick up in verse 1. This is the fifth week that we have been uh, looking at the Sermon on the Mount together. Again, the theme of the Sermon on the Mount is life in God's kingdom, and we have noted throughout chapter 5 that life in Christ's kingdom is different than life in this world. And when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we see that it's, it's given to us by our King, and it's about life in His kingdom. And so it's going to look different because He is a King that looks different from the kings of this world. And so the lives that we live as we are citizens in His kingdom are also called to look very, very different. Throughout the sixth chapter, we're going to see a recurring admonition to not live for the praise of people. And we'll begin by looking at the first verse of chapter six. It says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. And so we're going to take that first verse we're going to see that as the principle that will be expanded upon in the verses that follow. And the principle is this, live for God's approval, not earthly applause. Live for God's approval, not earthly applause. As we read through the passage today, we will see this principle illustrated in how one prays and how one gives and even how one fasts. In each case, there are temptations to do the, the spiritual activity in a way to draw attention to oneself. So I've titled the message, Showmanship Exposed, because what we will see is that Jesus is exposing this other type of motivation as some kind of a spiritual showmanship. And even as he exposes it in that day, 
and as he teaches of what it's like to live in his kingdom and how different it is from this type of showmanship, we are also, uh, we're also needing to stop and, and think, well, what, what, what does that say to, to me today? Are there times that I'm tempted uh, to do certain things or to behave in a certain way or say a certain thing, not, not as a motivation for pleasing God and obeying him, but so that it will look a certain way, create a certain image or a brand uh, to those who are watching. We saw in chapter 5 that there was this call to live a certain way in Christ's kingdom. Remember last week, we looked at what it was like to avoid anger, to avoid lust, to avoid hatred, to avoid revenge. And uh, we saw that the end of chapter 5 was a call to spiritual growth or spiritual maturity. But it certainly is not a call to spiritual showmanship. So right here in chapter 6, the emphasis uh, that is given to us is the idea of practicing righteousness. These, these righteous deeds, these, these, uh, uh, these activities, but not to do it in such a way as to seek the approval of people. Again, it says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. But you may recall in chapter 5, we saw verse 16. And it, it, it may raise a question when we read it because it says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And so some might say, well, is there a contradiction here between these verses? And I think that really what we can do is we can take both of them. And we can say, yes, as we follow the Lord, as we, as we follow his example and as we, as we seek to live as a citizen in his kingdom, it will be noted as a contrast to the ways of this world. People will see it. But chapter 6 is speaking to us about motivation, that it's, it's not the time to go and to, to blow the tr- trumpets and, and to ring the bells to draw the attention to what it is that we're doing. And so that's, that's where the real difference lies is within the motivation So again, remember, the Sermon on the Mount is about life in God's kingdom, and this will look different than that of the world. You see, the world is all about self-promotion, getting ahead, making yourself look good. It's all about you, but in kingdom living, it's different. It's about loving God. It's about loving others, seeking their well-being. Last week, we saw that Christ's kingdom is as I said, is not about hatred and lying and revenge. These are all actions that, that are only trying to please oneself, have a very self-centered uh, perspective. Uh, and, and, and so we, we, we come with the, the challenge of chapter 6 to, to think about the motivation, the motivation of, of knowing that it's God whom we serve, it's God whom we want to please, and oftentimes it's only the Lord who sees one's service. It's only the Lord who sees one's sacrifice. And so Matthew 6 commends this type of service, this type of of spiritual activity, because it protects us from spiritual showmanship and the temptation towards self-righteousness. And this is really a healthy way for us to live, remembering that all we do is before the Lord. You may remember last week when we looked at the, the section on taking an oath telling the truth, letting your yes be yes, your no be no, that, uh, that we, we recognize that in, in Christ's kingdom, we don't need an oath because everything that we say should be speaking the truth. We don't have to preface it with some kind of an oath. And that's because we do it all unto the Lord. And so that's the same principle that carries through into what we're talking about today. 
I once saw a plaque that was posted in a home, and maybe you've seen this as well. It says, Jesus Christ is the head of this home, the silent listener to every conversation, the unseen guest at every meal. And that is a, that's a healthy reminder that the Lord is with us and that what we say and what we do and even how we interact with others in the privacy of our home still includes uh, doing these things before the Lord. And so we began by seeing the principle in verse 1 to live for God's approval, not the applause of people. And so I'd like for us to take one minute and uh, if you are by yourself, you could see this as a reflection question. If you're with your family or another group of people, see this as a discussion question. And this, this is the question here. In what areas may we, you and I, may we be tempted to seek the applause of people? Take 60 seconds and discuss that together. I'm sure that you've thought of several examples as you have discussed this and as you've thought about it. Now we're going to look at three that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount. He is going to say these are examples of, of spiritual activities that could be used as a platform for self-promotion rather than truly seeking to please the Lord. So if you look back in your outline, you'll notice the second point is this, examples, giving praying, and fasting. So we're going to look at verses 2 through 8, and then we'll jump down to verses 16 through 18. Let's begin in verses 2 through 4. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. As we look at the first point there, he gives the example of giving. And that's the idea of giving to those in need. And this is something that's found uh, throughout the Bible. We can look to an Old Testament book of law like, like Deuteronomy. Or we could look to an Old Testament book of wisdom like Proverbs. And we will see principles of God calling his people to give to those in need. And so God expects this. But notice that these verses or this, this understanding in verse 2, I should say, is written as an expectation whenever you give. Now again, Jesus offers a contrast, but the contrast isn't those 
who give to the needy and those who don't give to the needy. Uh, in his contrast, both types of people give to the needy. The question is, what is their motivation? How are they doing this? And uh, what is the reason behind it? So the contrast is we have one type of person blowing trumpets in order to be applauded by other people. Look at me. Look at what I've done. This is what I'm calling spiritual showmanship. But notice the, the title that Jesus gives as a description of this individual. Uh, you see here the word hypocrite. And in fact, it's not only here in verse 2. We see it also in verse 5 and then also down in verse 16. So it's one of the key words of this portion of Matthew chapter 6. Now, each of these three examples that we're going to be looking at, uh, giving, praying, and fasting, each of them have a connection to this individual that Jesus is calling a hypocrite. And he is using this individual as an example not to follow. So what is a hypocrite? Uh, a hypocrite is an ancient Greek word that means actor. You know, it would have been a, a word that, that would have been used in ancient times to describe someone who was, who was part of the theater, who was on the stage, one who was pretending, if you will, to be someone that they really weren't. That's what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is an actor pretending to be someone else. Now, this word could be used to describe uh, different types of hypocrisy. And I think throughout Scripture and, and in life, we see different ways that someone can be a hypocrite. Uh, you can pretend to, to be good, but really be doing evil, try to cover up uh, evil works by, by a facade of, of, of doing good. Uh, a second way would be uh, through self-righteousness or, or pride, being blinded to any, any faults or weaknesses. But a third example would be a, a hypocrite is one who is truly doing good things, but doing these things with the wrong motive. And that's what we see here in Matthew chapter 6. Listen again to what Jesus is saying in verse 2. He says that one who is giving for the applause of people, when that is the motivation, this person is an actor. They are pretending to be concerned about the well-being of someone else when that's not the motivation. The motivation is self-centered, self-focused, about creating or maintaining an identity, a reputation in the community. You see, in God's kingdom, this is seen for what it is. And according to verse 2, it's not rewarded by God. As we look at verses 3 and 4, we see the principle of giving, but giving in secret. There's even a metaphor of not letting the left hand know what the right hand is doing. And so that would be a, you know, a very extreme way of saying that this is done in a, in a manner that's, that's private. It's not meant for the, the praise of people. But it's this type of giving that the Lord sees. And he understands that one's motivation then is to, to obey God, to love the person that's in need and to, to meet that need. Verse 4 indicates that God sees what is given in secret. And will reward this generous giver. Well, let's keep reading. Let's pick back up in verse 5. It says, Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. 
And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. So now the example that Christ gives is the example of praying. And again, we see that there is an expectation that God's people will pray. You see the little phrase there, it says, whenever you pray. And again, we, we see the contrast not between those who pray and those who don't pray, because the contrast here is of people who are praying, but Christ brings up that word hypocrite again, the actor who is praying for the attention of people. And I would say that, that this is something that's a warning for us as well. Uh, as, we, as we think about our prayer lives, and we think about praying in public, praying in, in, a, in a worship service or in a group setting, and then contrast that with the way that we pray in our private lives, in our, in our devotional lives. And, and we, we, we could ask ourselves, are there similarities in terms of passion? Are there similarities in, in the way in which we pray? Because if there's not those similarities, it could be an indicator that, that our motivation for praying is for the applause of people. So this is still something very much that we ourselves need to look at. I want to make a, a quick reference over to Luke chapter 18 because Jesus gives a parable about this very topic and it involves praying and there's even a reference to, uh, to fasting which we'll be looking at here shortly. But look over at Luke chapter 18 beginning in verse 9. It says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. And here's the contrast. Verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So we see here, even in this parable, that Jesus makes the point that, that prayer is to be focused upon God. And the motivation is to be communicating with him, not as a show of, of piety used for self-promotion. You will notice that at this point, Jesus gives further instruction on how to pray. Uh, if you look down, you'll, you'll see that, that uh, the verses that follow are what we typically call the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. And I'd like for us to take a look at that at the end of our, of our time together this morning. Uh, but before we get there, I'd like for us to look at one final example as we have already seen giving and praying. But here is the third example found in verse 16. It says this, Whenever you fast... Don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father 
who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And so in each of these examples, whether it's giving, praying, or fasting, we see the, the call to do this in a, in a private manner, a secret manner, to do this in, in a way in which only the Lord would know. But we also see that, that in each case, this is where we find the blessing of God. The word reward is used in, in each of these cases. And so, so this is what is being commended as the way to live in Christ's kingdom. Again, living for God's approval and not human applause. Now, some might say, well, what exactly then is fasting? And I think a simple way of defining it is this. Abstaining from something, typically food, for a period of time in order to bring a greater focus on God and greater time for prayer. It's, it's placing a focus for a time upon the spiritual and not the physical. We know that, that Jesus did this. We have examples of him going into the wilderness. He would fast. He would pray. Uh, we have examples of, of the early church doing this. It's just a, a seen as a manner of, of seeking the Lord earnestly. And, uh, and uh, again, uh, something that's commended to you and me to take time and, and, and uh, maybe withhold food for, for a, a, a period of time so that we then can focus on, on him focusing on the spiritual above the physical. But for the hypocrite, the actor, if you will, this was being done to look righteous in front of others, to keep an image. They, they wanted people to even know that they were, they were suffering for God. They, even the text we read said that they would disfigure their faces. They would look gloomy. And that way people would ask them probably, why do you look this way or why are you feeling this way? And they could then announce to those who asked what it was that they were doing. So it's, it's, it's clearly something that was used for self-promotion and self-righteousness. But instead, this was something that was meant for self-discipline. We read earlier in the parable from Luke 18 that the Pharisee proclaimed that he fasted twice a week. And that would have been completely above and beyond anything that we would have seen in the Old Testament. Maybe we would have seen a day of fasting on the Day of Atonement or something like that. But, but this Pharisee just took it to the nth degree and did so uh, for an outward show. Well, again, in chapter 6, verse 18, we see once again Jesus emphasizing an activity to be done in secret. And this again brings to mind that one's motivation is purely to be upon the Lord, upon uh, seeking after Him, obeying Him, following Him, and not uh, having the, the motivation of the applause of people. I was reading in a commentary from D.A. Carson, and on this passage he made a, an excellent point. He said, and I quote, Almost anything that is supposed to serve as an outward sign of an inward attitude can be cheapened by this hypocritical piety. And so I think we could, we could stop and say, okay, we see the example of, of, of giving and, and praying and fasting, but are there other activities, other ways in which we, we serve that, that we could be tempted to do this type of service or to do this activity in such a way as to receive honor and praise from men? We have the same human nature of the Pharisees. We have the same human nature to want to create an image of ourselves or build a, re a reputation for ourselves instead of humbly serving our Lord. As we saw in chapter 5 over the last number of weeks, chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount, that there is a distinct way to live in Christ's kingdom. We are to be people who forgive, 
People who seek to to make peace. People that are not ruled by anger or revenge. But all of these areas of obedience are now seen in light of this motivation. And that motivation being that we would want to follow the call of discipleship. Not to follow this this, uh, uh, temptation towards spiritual showmanship. You see, human nature is to try to put ourselves in the best light possible. In fact, I read uh, before about a, a, a person who was a fugitive in Ohio, and a police department was putting out a, a bulletin and, and showing even a, a, a mugshot of the, the person they were looking for. His name uh, is Donald Pugh, and they, they, they posted a photo of his mugshot on uh, their their Facebook page to see if other people in the community knew where he might be. Well, guess who found that photo? It was Donald Pugh, and he looked at it, and he thought, that's a terrible photo. So he had the audacity of sending another picture of himself, one where he's uh, in sunglasses and in a sports coat and sitting in his car, and, you know, he, he puts it the, at the top of, of his picture. He says, uh, here's a better photo. That other one is terrible. And so, uh, you know, it's just human nature, isn't it, to try to look better, to put ourselves in better light. Again, what's our key question that we've been looking at all morning? Is my motivation to obey God or to receive praise from people? Now we're going to spend a few minutes going back to the part of chapter 6 that we skipped. We're going to look uh, down at verses 9 through 15. And these verses contain the most famous part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's uh, oftentimes referenced, and we reference it as the Lord's Prayer. And uh, we could uh, truly spend several weeks just looking at the Lord's Prayer and taking it verse by verse and thought by thought. But there is an advantage to seeing the big picture here. The big picture of the Lord's Prayer, but to also see how it is a piece of instruction that was inserted into these three examples of of giving, praying, and fasting. And so Jesus takes an opportunity to give some instruction in this part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's something that we ourselves can benefit from. So let's look at verses 9 through 13 of Matthew chapter 6. This is known again as the Lord's Prayer or the Model Prayer. It says, Therefore you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, some versions, like the King James Version, uh, have another phrase that you may be familiar with. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Oftentimes we include that when we say it. And we look in this passage and say, well, that, that phrase is, is missing here. Well, the, the, the reason for that is that not all of the ancient manuscripts, which were written in Greek, contained this little phrase. Now, it's a good phrase. It's, it's like a benediction to the, to the prayer, closing to the prayer. Uh, in fact, you can find a very similar phrase in the Old Testament book of 
First Chronicles chapter 29. Um, but it's an interesting study. If you want to compare some of the ancient manuscripts, there were some that were known as the, the Byzantinian uh, collection of ancient manuscripts and some that were known as the Alexandrian collection of manuscripts. Some were located in, e in, in Egypt and some had uh, uh, been located more in, in, in Greece. And, and they have... Uh, they don't contradict, but there are some minor differences, and one of those is that, uh, that one group of these manuscripts did not include that little phrase. Some think it might have been added as a benediction. Others argue and say, no, this other group lost that, that part. But uh, anyway, that's the, the answer for why it's not found in, in some of these versions, and yet it is found in the King James Version, which is based off of uh, one of the, the manuscripts that would not have been considered the oldest. So I want to mention this to you just in case you were wondering why that phrase isn't here. Well, the final point on our outline, point number three is this. Here's the instruction. And the instruction from the Lord is his model prayer. You might see it as the Lord's model prayer. And it can be seen as containing six petitions. The first three have to do with God and drawing near to him and focusing on who he is and what he is doing in the world. And then the last three petitions have to do with the needs of people. And this is where we, we, uh, we see uh, people uh, praying for, for uh, what it is that they need or what is needed in the lives of others. Now, what you'll see at the beginning is that Jesus doesn't say to pray this. Like, these are words that are, that are uh, meant to, to uh, uh, be recited and, and completely used as the prayer. It's not wrong to recite them. It's great to memorize any part of God's Word. But, but I want to emphasize that what it says is to pray like this. That this is a model that we are to, to build our own personal prayers after what He has given. And so... Uh, we will see that within the model prayer, there are emphases that are both spiritual and physical. And I'm going to ask, if you would, when our worship service is over today, maybe take some time as an individual or if you're with a group and look at these six petitions and pray a prayer based upon these six. And uh, maybe if, if you're in a larger group, maybe you could even assign different pieces of this uh, prayer, these petitions, and then pray a new prayer that includes these six elements. That may be a way of really deepening your understanding of, of what this prayer is all about and how Christ wanted it to be a model or an example for us. So I'm going to go through these six petitions very quickly. I'm just going to barely touch on them and uh, allow uh, families and individuals to take this time instead at the end and, and really uh, dig deeper into it. So the first one is found in verse 9, and this is God's glory. And we begin by seeing the, the prayer. It says, Our Father. And it's a personal connection to the Heavenly Father using this word, Our, Our Father, who is in heaven. And it's just a great reminder of, of His identity as the Heavenly Father, but also that, that personal connection that we have because He is our Heavenly Father. 1 John chapter 3 speaks of this in verse 1. It says, See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and we are. And so just think about that. That's, that's your identity, my identity, that we are His children. He, our Heavenly Father, is indeed uh, a personal God to us. It goes on to say, Your name be honored as holy. You may have heard this as hallowed be your name. And so we begin 
with this prayer, seeing that God is at the very center. It's the Lord God Almighty. His name is holy. He is set apart. And it really reminds me of, of something that's, that's stated in 1 Samuel chapter 2, where it says, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. So do you see, this prayer begins with a focus on a sovereign Lord, a heavenly Father, whom no one else is like. He is set apart. He is holy. And hallowed be his name. The next consideration, the next petition is God's reign. It says there in verse 10, your kingdom come. And this is one we could, we could give a, just a whole uh, sermon or sermon series on this. When you think about the, the kingdom of God, and we, 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 we think about the aspects of, the, of, of Christ's kingdom now that was established when he, when he came. We also think of, of Christ's kingdom as it will be uh, in the future, the, the, uh, the eschatological understandings, thinking of his millennial kingdom, all of these things that, that, are, that are still out there that we are, we are longing for and looking towards. Um, but think about his kingdom and, uh, and, and, and what it will be like. You know, we've looked last week at some of these uh, awful sides of humanity with anger and lust and hatred and vengeance and just that, that, that fight against those things. And to know that in his kingdom someday, that, that won't be the fight anymore. That, that, that war will be over. And so, yes, we can, we can look and say, your kingdom come. We look forward to that day. In fact, the book of Revelation even ends. I think it's the next to the last verse. It says, he who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Don't we long for that kingdom? But we know that there is the kingdom now and the kingdom not yet. And so we, we think about the fact that we are already citizens of Christ's kingdom. And that we are called to live under his authority and under his reign. And so yes, we do indeed pray. We pray for his kingdom. His kingdom's rule and reign now and forevermore. But we see next in verse 10 that we also pray for God's will. That's the next petition. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I believe that we can pray to, to understand his will. We can pray that, that he will help us not to have the, the, the impulses or the motivations of the, the earthly nature, but, but, to, but to come underneath a desi desiring his will and uh, praying that, that his will would be known and lived out in our lives. And I'm convinced that, that so much of God's will is already known. Uh, he has given us his word. And we, being recipients of the word, are able to, to know God's will and to seek to understand it better as we, as we read this book, as we study it, and as we pray that God will help us uh, to, to have his will uh, uh, coming in and through our lives. Well, these are the first three petitions of the Lord's model prayer, God's glory, God's reign, and God's will. And after that, we see the prayer for one's needs and the needs of others. And I want you to notice as we get, and we've already read it, as we, as we read verse 11, the change in, in uh, possessive adjectives from yours to us. The, the first part is about God. The second part is about us and about our needs and, and, and how we come to him. As we, uh, as we seek having these needs met. The first one is God's provision. It's actually fourth on the list. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. And it's here that we are reminded that, that uh, what we have, all that we have has first come from his hands. 
For those who would have been reading this and, and, and hearing these words maybe in, in the days of Jesus, they would have been thinking about even daily work and daily pay and just that, that idea of just living from day to day and the dependency upon God to provide. We see next God's forgiveness and the need to forgive others. Verse 12, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And this idea of debts is really speaking of sin, forgiving us of our sin, that sin debt against him. And even then we are called to forgive those who have sinned against us. Verses 14 and 15 speak of this. It's uh, not necessarily part of the Lord's Prayer, but right after the Lord's Prayer. And it says, for if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. I suppose that uh, these verses could be a little confusing. But in light of what we read in other parts of the Bible, I think it could be best understood that those who have been forgiven by God, those who have His Spirit within them, and are living a new life in Christ, these people will forgive others. It's the natural outflow of being forgiven. I'm reminded of Colossians 3. It says in verse 13, forgive just as Christ has forgiven you. And so I think what we see in verses 14 and 15 is this. An unforgiving spirit is a sign that one has not been forgiven. And so those who have been forgiven, they will forgive others. That's part of living in his kingdom. We pray that God will help us in this endeavor. It's not, it's not natural. It's not something that, that comes easy to us. But in Christ's kingdom and by his spirit, that is the call that we're given to be those who forgive. And next we see in verse 13, God's guidance. It says here, uh, do not bring us into temptation. Or maybe you have, uh, you have uh, remembered uh, the version that would say, lead us not into temptation. And you might say that or read that and, and think, well, why, why would we put that as part of the prayer? Because God, God wouldn't lead us into, into temptation. This is something that he wouldn't do, so why are we praying that? And I think it's, it's a figure of speech, and actually a, a figure of speech to, to make a point that, that we sometimes make. If I were to tell you that there were not a few people in the group, you would understand that I was saying that there were a lot of people in the group. Or if I were to tell you that that idea is not bad at all, you'd say, oh, okay, he thinks my idea is, is a good idea. Or if, if I were to say you are not wrong about that, you would interpret that as meaning, well, you must be right about that. And so when we read the words, lead us not into temptation, the point is, Lord, lead us to righteousness. Lead us to your ways. We've, we've heard about them all through chapter 5 and into chapter 6. We've heard what it's like to live in your kingdom. Now we are praying, give us that desire. Give us the wisdom to see your ways, to know your ways, and the strength to obey and to live them out in this life. Well, the first part of the model prayer reminds us that just as we seek the Lord, that, uh, and, 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 and we think about, about the daily physical needs, we must also see that that first part of the, of the prayer thinks about the spiritual needs, about how we approach God, what we, how we see Him, how He relates to us. And the outflow of that is how, how He provides and how He guides. So again, I would like for you to take a little time, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close the message with prayer, and then we'll have a final song. But, but after that, would you take time 
and take these six petitions and, and make your own prayer before the Lord, uh, emphasizing each of these aspects. Let's close our time together now with a word of prayer. Would you bow with me? Our great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Sermon on the Mount and for the opportunity that we have had to look specifically at the words that, that you taught and that you gave. Lord, we thank you for the call that you've given to us, the call to, to give to those in need, the call to, to, uh, to, to come before you in prayer and also to fast. We think of these, these spiritual exercises and we, we say, Lord, protect us from, from the temptation of trying to do them to please others. But God, do a work within our hearts. Do a work on the inside so that we would not, not look to, to build a reputation or to be those who are seeking the applause of people. Lord, help us to try to forsake that earthly reward. But instead, Lord, may, may you give us these desires to honor you, to help others, to please you in all that we do as we seek to live in your kingdom. Father, we pray for our church family scattered across the, the community today and in our homes, still as we live through this, this very unusual season. And God, we pray that today can be a point of, of understanding and growth, but it can also be a time in which we, in a very real way, lean on you. So God, may you take your prayer, the Lord's prayer, and may you apply it now within our church family as we offer prayers of praise and prayers of petition before your throne of grace. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.